I Read Comics, show number 83. So my TV's broken, which kind of sucks. I don't really have the money for a new TV right now. Um, so it's a good thing I have my computer and my broadband. And um, I can watch things like Phineas and Ferb on my computer. Because if I couldn't have Phineas and Ferb, I think I might go insane. I know I've talked about it before, but it really is one of the best animated shows that's on right now. The writing is so good. The voices are wonderful. And there's a great song, a great new original song in every episode. And they reference those songs over and over again. So once you hear it, you'll probably hear it again in a different episode. And the interplay between um, Perry the Platypus and Dr. Doofenshmirtz is just completely meant for adults and funny and takes on superheroes and comic books and movies and secret agents and just everything that there could be. And as I think I've mentioned, Richard O'Brien, Riff Raff, does the voice of the dad, and he is just wonderful. And I posted um, a couple of clips to the blog from YouTube just in case you want to see how awesome it can be. So I encourage everyone to watch episodes of Phineas and Ferb, which you can see in a couple different places online, including at the Disney site. It kind of kills me that it is a Disney product because so much of the other stuff on Disney is just awful. But yeah, Phineas and Ferb pretty much rocks. I love Ferb. So I went to the movies, and I saw two movies in 3D, which are worth talking about. And the first one was Up. And I wasn't sure what to expect from it, given that it's a Disney Pixar thing. But it was really, really good. And, you know, I got to say, the 3D thing with the real 3D glasses is awesome. It's the most amazing 3D I've ever seen. I was talking with Logan about that, and we were both saying how when we had gone to see um, Superman, part of the movie was in 3D, and we had really uncomfortable 3D glasses, but they've kind of got that down now, and the glasses are, you know, a little goofy. They look like Adam Savages from Mythbusters, but they're fine to watch with, and you kind of forget you have them on after a while, but 3D is really amazing. I mean, this stuff just jumps right off the screen, and you get used to it really fast so that when something isn't 3D, you're like, hey, where's the 3D? So I think all movies are going to be in 3D eventually, and I'll be pretty happy about that. Um, and if they could figure out a way where you wouldn't actually have to wear the glasses, that would be cool too. But for now, I'm totally into the glasses and watching the 3D. And they used it to great effect in Up, I thought. Um, the first, As people have said, you know, at this point you've probably read a lot about Up. See it in 3D if you haven't seen it yet. Um, the first 20 minutes or so are really astounding um, it's a whole sequence of the history of the main character, Carl, and his life and what it was like with his wife and how they spent their lives in this house and what they meant to each other. And, you know, everybody cries when that's over. I cried when that part was over. It was just really, really wonderful, so touching and so well done. And, um, you know, Di Pixar, I know there's a lot of Disney influence, but for a while there with the Pixar movies, I was wondering where they were going to go with humans, right? So with the Toy Story movies, which I love, 
The first one, the people looked like really bad mannequins. And in the second one, they kind of looked like better mannequins, but the toys were just so much better than the humans. And I thought, you know, they could spend the next 30 years, well, 30 years in Internet years, which is like three years, um, trying to figure out how to make perfect-looking humans. And they're still not going to look like perfect-looking humans. Maybe they should just give up on this. And then when they made Finding Nemo, that's exactly what they did. They made a conscious decision, I think, to stop trying to make people look like real people and to make them look more like caricatures and to go with great voice characterization and just accept the fact that they could never make real people look exactly like real people. They should look like cartoons, and, and we would be okay with that. And that's pretty much what they've done in every movie since then that's had actual people in it, and this movie is no exception. There are people in it, and the people don't really look like real people. They look, you know, maybe not cartoons, but they definitely look like caricatures. And in the character of Carl, you know, he looks like the house, and he looks like his chair. He's sort of a, a square guy, and everything that is around him looks kind of squat and square. Um, and he, it, it's done in such a way that you feel a real empathy for him, um, even though he's a caricature and he doesn't look like a real, a real human being. He clearly is a real human being, and that's the genius of Pixar is that they make you feel something real for the humans that are in their stories. Uh, it was the same with Wally too. You know, the people didn't look like real people. They looked like caricatures of people. Um, so I'm glad that they've decided to follow that path because it really seems to work. Um, and the little kid Russell also is a caricature. Um, <laughs> I had heard that some parts of it might be scary, especially for kids, the stuff with the dogs because there's a pack of really mean looking dogs. But it was totally undercut by the fact that the lead, really meanest dog has a malfunctioning voice transpond transponder, I guess, that causes him to talk like Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks, which is hilariously funny. Couldn't be too much funnier than that. And I was wondering if there was going to be a plot to the middle of it, and there was. There really was a plot, and they brought it back around to some stuff at the beginning, and it did have, I thought, a very good ending. Um, and lots of really nice visual touches for wherever they happen to be in South America. You know, this very wild-looking place where the cliffs are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet high and impossible terrain and uh, waterfalls and jungle and just all kinds of things that couldn't really exist in any real place. Definitely a lost world feeling. But it was it was a really good movie. But, you know, there's no women in this movie except for Carl's wife, Ellie, who is in the flashback. She's not actually in the movie. And I, I wonder if this is a problem. You know, they need to have more women in these movies, I think, as actual main characters who are doing stuff. Um, in Wally, I, I guess, if you're going to take Wally and Eve as the main character, you know, Eve was female, and uh, one of the people on the, sp the spaceship um, the the woman who decides that she's going to look up from everything else and see the world. She's kind of the, the main secondary character there. But I, I wish they could have had more women in it, I guess. Um, but it was great. I really, really liked it. I love what Pixar was doing. And, you know, there was a trailer for Toy Story 3 right at the beginning, which totally jazzed me. I cannot wait to see it. And I got home, and I got onto the computer, and I went onto IMDb to see what the plot is. And it looks like the toys are going to have to get rescued or rescue themselves from a, 
um, rummage sale or something like that. But I don't know. I don't care. I'll just see it because it's Toy Story because I love Toy Story so much. And I'm wondering if you're going to be able to tell that it's so much, so many years have passed since the other Toy Story movies that the voices are going to sound different. They got everybody to come back, I guess. Um, We'll see what the voice direction is like, but it was really kind of cool to see the trailer for that. I was so happy. The other movie I got to see was um, Ice Age 3, and it was a sneak preview because uh, the movie's not actually out yet. It won't be out for another week or so. And it was, again, in 3D with Real 3D, which was totally awesome and looked really, really good. And i got to say, it wasn't as good as the second Ice Age movie, which is saying something because the second Ice Age movie wasn't as good as the first Ice Age movie. I thought the first one was totally brilliant. It had such a good plot, and... Um, the whole story of Manny, uh, the mammoth, and finding out what his backstory was, was just incredible and so touching. And I, I can almost not watch that scene where they're looking at the cave drawing portraying, you know, the death of his mate and child because it's just so heartbreaking and wrenching and it really lets you into his his character, you know, as the, the stand-ins for the humans. It's so, so good. And it's all about, you know, friendship and betrayal and doing the right thing and all that stuff. Oh, such a good movie. And, you know, the second one was fun. It was okay. Um, and the third one was, it, it wasn't, it didn't have a heart. You know, it was fun and it was crazy and it had a lot of really wacky and wild things and a lot of really inventive animation. You know, the Ice Age movies are like, in my mind, they're the falling movies because every one of those movies has so much about falling and it usually involves the the little um rodent guy scrat who just falls and falls and falls and falls everybody else fell a lot in this movie they do falling really really well and kind of uh going really fast if you remember from the first ice age movie where um manny and his two buds are in a glacier and they are skating along on the ice and they're going really 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 fast like they're in a, a, a luge race or something and there was some of that in this movie as well um, there's a crazy weasel in this movie who's voiced by Simon Pegg, who was Scotty in Star Trek, and he was pretty good, too. Um, and, you know, talking about women in movies, there's um, Manny's, I almost said his wife, but I guess it's his new mate, um, also named Ellie, and they're, she's going to have a baby. So that's the big um, somebody in danger thing. And, of course, it's the woman who has to be in danger, although it starts out with Sid the Sloth being the one in danger, and they have to rescue him. But, you know, there's Ellie, and she's pregnant, and she can't go on adventures with the rest of the guys halfway through. I mean, they go into this lost world, and she eventually has to give it up because of the baby. But it's funny, and they got a chance to do some cool dinosaur animation, which was neat. And there's a mama dinosaur with some cute little baby dinosaurs. So I can say it's it's probably a really good kids movie, but it's not on the level of the first Ice Age movie as far as an adult movie goes. But yeah, that 3D is really, really excellent, and the credits were cool too. So for the kids, probably. And for the adults, since you can't see it in 3D on TV, mm, probably not worth it. Um, so let's see. I think I'll take a little break here, and then I'm finally going to get around to talking about some of the comic books I got on free comic book day months and months ago because I did read them all and I think there are some really good things we're talking about and then some really shit things we're talking about so hang on 
another quick note on comics in general, and uh, this applies to Watchmen as well. I forgot to say this when I was talking about it last time. Um, in general, please stop drawing women with erect nipples while in superhero costumes when there's no reason for this to be happening. <laughs> I honestly can't think of too many reasons when it would be happening, unless you want to say it's really, really, really cold, in which case you should be seeing the men's nipples as well. But that never happens. So just stop doing it because um, I can't imagine a circumstance under which that would actually happen unless, you know, the material of the costume is so thin that you're going to see an erect nipple. And, and if you're fighting crime or doing whatever you're doing against superheroes, chances are you're not going to be sexually excited by that. I know that that's the fanboy fantasy, but in real life, it really doesn't work that way. And even in Watchmen, Dave Gibbons drew Silk Spectre 2 with some erect nipples. And in his character sketches in the back, in my absolute edition, he has one of her. And Jesus Christ, her nipples look like corks. You know, what's up with that? Why are we doing that? Why? Just stop it. Please, please, please stop it. Stop drawing the erect nipples on women in their superhero costumes. Thank you. So let's turn to the free comic book day comics. Um, the first one I got right here is Atomic Robo. I was so excited to see that there was an Atomic Robo comic, and it was free. And this one has uh, three different stories in it. It's got a short Atomic Robo story. It's got something called Drone, and then it's called another thing called We Kill Monsters. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the Atomic Robo story is just awesome. How much do I love this comic? It's the greatest thing ever. I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I ordered the second trade paperback. I'm waiting for it uh, to show up, and it hasn't because I ordered it with some other crap, and it's all on pre-order, and I'm like just waiting for it to show up. Anyway, um, this little story is Atomic Robo versus Dr. Dinosaur, and I hadn't quite realized that Dr. Dinosaur was um, really insane, but Atomic Robo kind of shows that he's insane, and uh, that it's all them running around this little island having incredibly funny dialogue, and Robo trying to show the dinosaur that he really is insane, that he couldn't time travel, so this is Dr. Dinosaur's explanation for where he came from. He says, as Robo puts it, mammal energies traveled backwards through time and killed the dinosaurs, but somehow mutated you into a super genius, thus allowing you to figure all this out and then to construct a time machine out of what I can only assume to be fronds and rocks, Dr. Dinosaur says, and crystals. And Robo says, you're an idiot and your origin story doesn't make sense, <laughs> which I love. Your origin story doesn't make sense. So um, they argue some more, and they, they run around. And the cool thing is Dr. Dinosaur's um, stuff consists of some army stuff that he's got strapped to his back and a cooler and a fire extinguisher and a spatula. And he's got some guns that he's shooting off. Um, and he eventually tricks Robo into opening up the cooler, which turns out not to be full of rocks, um, as Robo thinks, and he says, if this is filled with rocks, I am going to kill you. But it actually turns out to be full of grenades, and Dinosaur has the, the, the pin that he's pulled, and we really don't find out what happens. But, man, it's funny, and I just love the art. It's so good. So, oh, Atomic Robo. Can't wait. Now, the second thing is something called Drone, and uh, it's by, let's see, writer Scott Chitwood, artist Randy Kintz. 
In the near future, the U.S. military has taken a technological leap ahead of other countries in the arms race, drones that have evolved beyond simple remote-controlled airplanes to advanced satellite-controlled robots. So the plot of the story is these three loser guys who have nothing better to do except play on the computer all night um, have somehow managed to hack into this system and are now able to, um, if not control, monitor these robots that are being sent into some uh, terrorist place that's, I don't know if they actually say where it is, but it certainly looks like, uh, oh, it's in Kazakhstan. So um, they're trying to track down some terrorist leader, and these guys are able to hack in and see what's going on. And uh, then at the end of this story, because it's not a whole story, it ends with a to-be-continued, thanks a lot, um, we finally meet the bad guys, and they're sort of twigged to what's going on at this point. But um, i got to say, this was really horrible to me, this story, because um, the three guys who are watching this are seeing what's going on with these robots who are killing real people in a real village and blowing up real houses and say things like, freaking awesome, cool, oh, that's going to leave a mark. Um, I'm making popcorn. This is like the best reality TV show ever. And they're treating it like it's a game even though real people are getting hurt and dying. And the problem is, I can't tell from this comic whether the uh, intention is, we're supposed to be horrified by this, that the idea of robot-controlled drones going in and killing actual people is, is an awful, awful thing, and we should all be horrified by it if that's what warfare eventually comes to. I mean, it's getting close to that now. But um, for one side to have people and the other side to have robots is not the way things should ever happen. Or whether we are supposed to identify with these three losers and be like, wow, this is the best virtual reality game ever. We're killing real people. Oh, my God, it's so cool to be able to control robots who are killing people so far away in some place where people have funny names and are terrorists and probably don't go to the same church as we do. I really can't tell, and I think that's a problem. I think you should be able to tell what the message is here. And, you know, maybe if I was interested enough to buy the comic book and keep reading Drone, this would become clear to me. But um, I'm too horrified by the story and the very casual attitude towards killing real people that these three losers are putting on. I just don't even really want to say this because it looks like it is going to be a lot of up-close, really graphic killing. So I think I don't want to read any more of that story. The last story seems a lot more interesting. It's called We Kill Monsters. Uh, and the summary says, Brothers Jake and Andrew Basher live quiet lives, running the family business and trying to make romance work. They are about to discover that monsters are infesting the world. So it turns out that um, they meet monsters, one of them gets bitten by a monster, and his arm gets monstered, and then they have to go kill the monsters after that. And it's very noirish. I really like the art. It's good. It all takes place at night, and um, it's, it's kind of a cartoony-looking, but really good, and the monsters are actually fairly scary-looking in here. They're big four-legged things that kind of look like dinosaurs, but they're covered in blue fur, and they've got big, giant claws and horns and stuff like that. Um, and the whole tone of it is, is fairly scary. So this actually looks like it could be really fun. Um, by Christopher Leone and Laura Harcom, creators of the critically acclaimed sci-fi channel miniseries, The Lost Room. Never saw it, don't know what it's about. 
but this is all from Red 5 Comics. So, um, you know, big props for Atomic Robo and We Kill Monsters, and I don't think I ever want to see Drone. So um, to get another piece of crap out of the way, let's talk about William Shatner Presents from Blue Water Productions, because apparently Bill's writing comic books. Oh, my God. These are so bad. Um, the first one is Tech War Chronicles, because he's still milking that for all it's worth. second one's called Man of War, milking that for all it's worth. And the third thing is called Quest for Tomorrow. And right in the front, it says, for each one of these, it says, Story by William Shatner. And I feel like, to be completely accurate, the word story should be in quotes, and the word by should also be in quotes. Like, the biggest scare quotes you could possibly imagine. You know, like your whole hand making scare quotes around this, because your fingers really aren't big enough to convey, you know, the complete irony of words like story by William Shatner when it comes to a comic book. Um, so... I tried to read this Tech War thing. I never read any of the Tech War books or saw any of the horrible TV shows. So I have no idea what it's about, and I don't care. Um, so all it does is it looks like it's the future, and there's some spy stuff, and there's some tech, and then there's people running around in a church, and the main character, who I think is still named Jake Cardigan, and boy, does it crack me up that he's called a sweater, um, has uh, the obligatory sort of um, Hispanic partner who is clued in to what's really going on and kind of gives him a hint of what the truth is about whatever it is they're supposed to be investigating. But, of course, the um, token Hispanic partner gets killed right at the end of this. Oh, no! Coming this spring, the Tech War Chronicles, Volume 1, A Plague of Ghosts. I can't wait to see what happens. Actually, I can. I don't really need to know what happens. But it looks real stupid. Um, the second one has such bad art that I couldn't read it. Um, I don't know what Man of War is about. There are about six pages of close-ups of really ugly people's faces and a lot of word balloons, and then some planes flying through thunderstorms. Um, so that looks horrible. And then the last thing is Quest for Tomorrow, and it looks like art that should be... Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen on the Cartoon Network, there's a show called Johnny Test, which is not very good. But it, the art looks exactly like that. It's very stylized, cartoony not comic book art, but cartoony art. So it looks like a cartoon that they put in. Kind of the way um, the uh, Legion of the Superheroes kids looked. You know, very angular. Clearly, you know, learning a lot from Bruce Timm and Paul Dini, that kind of look. That's what they've gone for here. And um, this little story is about a bunch of kids on some planet who have uh, a race in their little hover bikey things. And... Um, it looks like there's one girl in this story, and she's the one who drops the flag at the race because, you know, girls don't race. Why would they do something like that? That's just completely silly. They can't pilot chips and stuff. It has to be a guy thing. So I don't know what the hell that's supposed to be about, but it's really stupid. And then right in the back, um, there's an ad for something, also from Blue Water Comics, called uh, Female Force. And it looks like a bunch of comic books that are biographies, in-depth looks. I don't really know about four different women, um, Sarah Palin, Hillary Clinton, J.K. Rowling, and Caroline Kennedy. Um, and I get the feeling that these are on the order of, um, oh gosh, I'll have to dig it out, but I bought this comic book once <laughs> about Bruce Hyde. Um, now, if you know about Star Trek, Bruce Hyde was Lieutenant Riley, and 
I, I am like three degrees removed from him through various people. And I just wanted to buy this to see what it said about him. And it is like the worst piece of shit you've ever seen in your life. The art is horrible. It's not a real comic book. It's barely a biography. It's just a bunch of stuff with bad drawings of him thrown in there. And I suspect that these comic books are the same given how bad the cover art is, especially the J.K. Rowling one. It looks it looks worse than a lot of fan art that I've seen, and that's saying a lot. It's worse than a lot of the Star Trek fan art that I've seen. And it's her sort of leaning on a window ledge or something, and there's some monster thingy behind her. I don't read the Harry Potter books, so maybe it's a character from that. And her head is like a pinhead, and her proportions are all wrong. Her shoulders look massive, and her arms are too long, and she doesn't really seem to have any breasts, but... It, like really big pecs and there's a necklace but it's hanging all wrong around her neck and her neck looks really veiny and I, I don't know it's just all wrong and the picture of Hillary Clinton is, is equally as bad she sort of looks like um, she should be marching she looks like she should be leading a band she's kind of got her arms up like she's doing a march and wow the art is bad so I think Blue Water Comics is probably really, really awful and is someone's vanity project. Maybe it's Bill Shatner's vanity project. I don't really know. But um, these look really awful. Really, really, really awful. So I need to put that down before it sort of infects my hand. Oh, I forgot. There's one other thing I didn't like. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll get to the stuff I do like in a second. This is a comic that I really wanted to like. So let me start out by saying, oh, this looks good. And it's called FCHS and it's called, it stands for Forest City High School. So this is supposed to be a little slice-of-life thing um, about some kids in high school. And uh, I'm looking at this, trying to tell if it's been published for a while or what. It says, look for the original graphic novel this fall. Um, and it's by Vito Delasante and Rachel uh, Freire. And I see, I see what they were trying to do. They were trying to do a kind of slice of life thing, maybe a little bit of breakfast club thrown in, and the cover is in color, and on the cover you can tell the characters apart. Once you get inside, it's black and white, and the art is a lot more sparse, and I could not tell these people apart to save my life, and there are too many of them. Um, there's a main cast of characters on one page. They've drawn them kind of like as a, a scorecard, so you could tell them apart. Meet the FCH8. FCHS gang, and um, sadly, they all pretty much have the same face. They're all drawn with pretty much exactly the same features, and the way you're supposed to tell them apart, I guess, is by their hair, and um, one of them has glasses, and one girl has freckles, and then, you know, the girls have different length hair, but um, they pretty much look exactly the same, and the girls are drawn their body types are drawn almost exactly the same here as well within the story. And there's a couple of scenes of, I'm looking at it now, a page where there's girls sitting on bleachers who are talking. And there are three girls who could be triplets because they all have dark hair. And their faces, to me, look exactly the same. I can't tell them apart. And then the fourth girl is blonde, but she could be the quadruplet if she wasn't blonde. I don't know. Maybe she's wearing a wig or something. And this little excerpt that we're given here feels like you're just dropped right into the middle of a story. I don't know what the relationship is between these people or who they are or why I need to care about what's going on. It it kind of felt like a little bit of, they were trying to do Love and Rockets a little bit, but none of the characters are really compelling. 
there are no people who jump out where you go, oh, that's an interesting person. I want to know more about them. Or that's a weird thing to have happen. I, I wonder what the backstory is. It's kind of like people cracking wise at each other and going to parties and people cheating on each other and falling into pools and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, whatever. I don't see why I should be reading this. Nothing interesting happens in this whole preview. And if the point of Free Comic Book Day is to put out a story that's, um, even if it's a slice of a story that's so, it's got a hook, that's kind of the point, isn't it? To make you want to read more. Like that little story from Atomic Robo with Dr. Dinosaur. Like, you read that, you're hooked. You have to go, oh my God, this is so funny. This is so cool. Who is Atomic Robo? Why is Dr. Dinosaur insane? What happened when he tried to blow them up? Like, you have to know more. With this story, I go, meh. I don't really care. And it's too confusing, and I can't be bothered to figure it out. I really, really just can't be bothered. So um, for me, that kind of counts as a as a big fail here. Sorry. Um, and then the other half of the book is something called Max Guy. Uh, and the story is Max Guy meets Magma Boy. And it's drawn very much in a, a kid style. And I mean not for kids, but if a kid had actually drawn it. And it... It seems like, well, I'll, I'm going to talk about the next book in a second, which is a kid book, and it's Owly, and I love Owly. Um, it seems like it's trying to be like that, but it's it's not. It's just stupid. <laughs> to be able to do really good kids' comics, it has to look simple and play like a simple story, but not be actually simple. The flaw of Max Guy is that it is just that. It's just simple. There's no cleverness. There's nothing underlying it. There's Max Guy who wears a costume. I don't know why. He meets a kid called Magma Boy who literally seems to be made out of magma. And then they end up coming to visit him at his house with some kid named, uh, excuse me, let's get it right, Sick Rick. He's my friend who looks like a Dickens orphan and sneezes all over everything. And they kind of go through and wreck Max Guy's house the end. It, there's no point to it. It's not cleverly drawn. The art's not really good. The characters aren't really compelling. Um, the only unexpected things that happen is that Max makes two glasses of cold drinks appear in his hands, and he doesn't quite know how. Ooh. So I, it's like, all right, I don't think a kid would really be interested in that. Um, so this doesn't really make it for me because nothing, there's nothing really interesting in it. I mean, Johnny Test is better than that. At least that's funny. Okay, third book from Top Shelf. Third? No. How many am I? I'm on like four here. Owly. I love Owly. I've seen Owly before, and I really like it. And Owly is an owl, and Owly has friends. So in this book, we get Owly, we get Corgi, we get Johnny Boo, and we get Yam. And here is the genius of the really good kids' book. So Owly doesn't talk. Uh, it's all done in pictures, and the characters have word balloons, but there's pictures in the word balloons because... You know, they're animals and they don't talk. And Owly's goal here is to build a little greenhouse because uh, winter is coming and he doesn't want all his plants to get cold. And he needs um, help from his friends to do this and uh, put all the plants in there so they have got to build some shelves. And he enlists some help. And he and his cool little friends all end up working together and come up with a very clever little solution to the shelves. And it's cute and it's funny and... 
the ending is unexpected. It's a little twist because you don't, I didn't expect them to solve the problem the way that they were going to do. And gosh, the characters are drawn in such a cute way. I love Owlie. It's so cute. Any kid would love to read that. And as an adult, I love reading it too. Um, the next one is just as good. It's a Corgi tale. And I didn't know about Corgi before. Um, it's by Anne and Christian Slade. And it's about um, a girl who has a little corgi dog. She falls asleep when they're outside. And the corgi has an adventure and goes inside of this uh, thing. <laughs> it's very much a um, Miyazaki kind of monster, an organic thing that grows up out of the ground. And it looks like it could be part plant and part animal. And uh, it opens up its giant mouth and the corgi goes inside and runs around in its guts and eventually gets spit out, and the girl is a little perturbed by that because he's all covered in muck, and then the big creature kind of runs away. It's not really a scary creature. It's just a big old weird giant creature. And the corgi, of course, has a great adventure because corgis are like that. Everything is fun for them. What a great little story. Um, the next one is Johnny Boo, and apparently um, this Johnny is a, a ghost. So this is a collaboration between James Kachalka, a real comic book artist, and uh, Eli Kachalka, who I'm assuming is his son. Um, so Johnny has some fun encounters with some other ghosts. And then the last one is um, a little excerpt from Yam, and I didn't know about Yam before either, but it looks like it's a little girl with a, a cat friend, and um, they get some cool drinks when it's hot, and there's some really nice drawings in here. But these are just really, really good. I mean, if you're going to do things for kids, this is the kind of stuff that you want to have. Uh, you know, Owly is really popular, but I like Corgi a lot now, and I think I might have to get some of those. Um, looks like there's some books, but those are really cool. So this book was great. And then the last one is a thing called Love and Capes, um, which I never heard of before, but apparently it's been around for a while. And um, written and drawn by Thomas F. Zoller. And this is pretty good. Um, the art is very much in the cartoony style, so again, back to um, the Bruce Tim Paul Dini kind of thing, very stylized looking. And it's about um, a superhero named the Crusader. He has a fiance named Abby, um, and uh, then there's some other superheroes in here also. There's a guy named Dark Blade. Nice. He's not a white guy. It's a black guy. Woohoo! He's the Crusader's best friend. And uh, Amazonia who is uh, the ex-girlfriend of uh, our hero. S um, so in, this is a good story. I really like this story. There are a couple things I don't like about it, but I thought this story was great. And it's about how Abby um, wants to know what it's like to be a superhero. So through various funny means, um, she gets granted superhero powers for a day. And she gets to see what it's really like so she can relate to her soon-to-be husband. And it's uh, a funny story, um, and it's a realistic kind of experience. You know, what if you could be a superhero for a day? And eventually she learns at the end that superhero superheroing isn't for her um, because she doesn't feel like she can deal with the consequences of what happens when you can't save the world. So she decides to give up her powers again. Um, and her whole little learning curve here is really good, and I like the characters. I like the way they talk to each other. Um, the thing that bugged me, well, first of all, that she chooses a costume that's basically a little skirt. Um, and they even go through this whole costume thing where it's kind of cute. You know, there's a Supergirl costume, which is the, the midriff bearing thing with the short skirt, and she says no. And then there's another one, which is Saturn Girl's 
uh, reformed, horrible, horrible pink costume, um, except they've drawn it here in blue where it's, you know, got the triangle thing that meets in the middle. And then another um, more recent superhero, I think it's supposed to be, um, uh, what's her name? The sister of Shazam, Mary Marvel costume with the tiny little skirt. And she's like, no, I don't want any of those. So, I don't know, maybe her costume is supposed to be a tunic instead of a skirt, but it still kind of looks like a short skirt to me. And then um, this other character named Amazonia, you know, I guess she's supposed to be like a, a Wonder Woman kind of superhero, but why does she have to be dressed, you know, she has giant tits for one thing, and they're stuffed into a little bustier, and then she's got a skirt that's not really a skirt, it's more like the loincloth in the front and in the back, and she's got a headdress and giant hair, and uh, I don't know, it just bugs me when I see that. It's like, couldn't you have done something different there? Uh, Anyway, but I thought this was good, and, you know, reading relationship stuff isn't really my my thing so I, I don't think this is a book that I would definitely pick up and read but I think it's it's great it's somebody who's managed to take relationships and put them into a superhero story in a good way and I thought this was a great introduction to these characters because you get to learn a lot about them that um, they act like real people and they're not stupid and they have real conversations and then there's a, you know, bringing the reality to superheroing, like how do you wear your costume under your clothes and where do you change and isn't it a big pain when you have to run away from your job all the time and go do some superheroing and accepting the fact that you can't save the world all the time. So, and, and I like the fact that the crusader, Mark, isn't condescending to her at all. He's very supportive and understands that superheroing might not be the thing for her, but it doesn't diminish her in any way, and he's very happy that she tried. And You know, it, it's good. It seems real to me. So I thought those were good. There are a bunch of other comics. I, I hadn't realized quite how many I had gotten, um, and I'll talk about those, I think, in another one. Um, the Bongo thing, the, the Simpsons comic, was really good, so I wanted to talk a bit about that. Um, And there's this other weird thing, this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing that I don't quite understand, so I think I need to do some research on that and figure out exactly what the hell it is. But um, anyway, those were quite good. So that was my big haul. Uh, I have been reading other things besides Watchmen, and I want to get around to talking, but I, I had realized about a week ago that I had these two giant orders that I'm waiting to be shipped to me, and I'm waiting for some other crap to be put out so that I could get my orders and get my comics and read them. So I will continue to post stuff on the blog, and I'm going to continue to do the podcast. So um, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, if you want to send me an email, you can send it to me at lanataylor at hotmail.com. That is the email address I prefer to use for this. And the Storage Vault account is still up if you want to see the Watchmen limited motion comics for free. And if you want to get Countdown, the Star Trek comic, that's there too. All of the Ditko stuff is still up and the Alan Moore stuff is still up there. So uh, I am happy to share all of that with all of you. So please go. I'll keep the link up and go and, you know, enjoy some stuff for free. I'm happy to share it. And follow me on Twitter if you get a chance, Lena Taylor. I've been posting stuff there as well. So um, until next time, go watch some Phineas and Ferb. You, you won't regret it, I promise.